All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make the weight room more appealing and more enjoyable for MMA athletes. How do, how do we make MMA fit into the weight room and actually make pe- fighters want to be there when their sport is punching people in the face? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny because like Alex, our job is probably the most boring part of their entire training sequence. They yeah. get to do jujitsu, they get to do wrestling, they get to strike, and then they have to come lift weights and move shit heavy. And, and it's, it's not that enjoyable. So how do we make it better? Yeah. And I mean, I think almost every fighter, even a lot of sports, just athletes in general have this experience. Like the part of sports that excites you is the fast pace and high level decision-making and the, the reaction, action, reaction basis, especially in jujitsu grappling and striking, you're making reads constantly and having to adapt to what you see in front of you. And the most boring part they might do at the gym, let's say is drilling, right? We're doing the Mm -hmm. same move over and over and over again and there's traditionally athletes don't like that but what's the weight room what are we doing sets and reps of x y and z for it's just the exact same thing on repeat on repeat on repeat make a subtle change and the athletes like it's just the same thing we're not changing you know so it's like how can we make that monotonous process of steps reps controlled exercise this controlled exercise that a little more appealing to a mixed martial artist that wants the dynamic sport experience that is having to make constant decisions. Um, and this is something that I go through myself. So it's something I can see a lot of athletes go through where it's like, man, I'm a third set of deadlifts. I don't want to just bilateral deadlift again. This is so right. basic. Yeah. Um, so one thing I do for that, and we can kind of jump in straight to the methods, I guess, is each set I'll vary the exercise slightly. Like we'll change it out of a different stance. We'll, change a different tempo i'll um, add a different like maybe perturbation stimulus or something but each set you go through like we need four sets of deadlift today sure we can make each one of those sets just a little bit different not different enough to change the stimulus we can still chase after strength or power or whatever but different enough to keep the athlete mentally engaged and then if they're mentally engaged they're going to get more out of the work because they it demands more of their attention more of their attention will pie mm-hmm no, I, I break it down to three different topics is the first one is exactly what you're talking about. Novelty. How can I make this movement that is boring as fuck a little bit more novel to the athlete in front of me? Yeah. The second one's going to be communication. How does what we're doing right now apply to their sport? How does it make them better at their sport? Because the biggest argument I hear about like strength training is how does this make me a better fighter? I don't want to be a weightlifter. Sure. So the communication aspect is huge for making MMA fit into the weight room. And then the last thing is gamifying. How, how do I make the exercises as fun as possible? How do, how do I change my training? How do I change my programming for maybe instead of three by three, I'm doing an EMOM that's, that's a little bit more fun. Or maybe I have them right in front of somebody else staring their opponent in the eyes while they're doing this fucking movement. So who can lift more weight? Who can be better? Who can add in that competition aspect, which is just gamification because yeah. every MMA athlete the only way you step into a cage is if you're a savage, right? Yep. It's the only way you're confident enough to step into a cage. So all of them want to compete at all points <laughs> in time. So, and competition is just a different way to gamify. So those are my big three. It's novelty, communication, and gamification. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can expand kind of infinitely off of a lot of those. Um, I talked a little bit about the novelty and we can go more into that, but I want to highlight the competition aspect you said, because if we communicate correctly, each week can be a competition against yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we're lifting heavy, like, all right, last week we did this much now compete to see if you can lift a little bit heavier with the same correct form. Um, or if you have partners or teammates in the workout, even though that may not be as specific to them specifically, we can use that competition to increase motivation, increase outputs and have them compete head to head or even like um, adding intensity is a competition if you want intensity. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just how can you gear the constraints as a coach to elicit the output that you want, not always through just. This understand this athlete's going to understand the importance of doing this biomechanically correct, but in order to have them almost like um, autonomously or without thinking, get the output that you wanted. For sure, I, I feel like when we talk about competition, every strength coach thinks that you have to make the athletes do the same lift in order for there to be competition. Right? You have right. to. Everybody's doing the same lift. It's a team program. Yada yada. I don't have anybody do the same program. Every single person I work with is a semi-private model, which means that I everybody's programming is different. Yeah, they might have similar lifts and structures, but nobody's doing the same program. I still have them compete against each other. Like I had yesterday, like sat my Saturday squad was in. I had like seven, I, I told out, I think I had like seven or eight people going at once. That's the most I've ever had, but it just worked. It was one of my favorite days of training I've ever done. And I had Tommy McMillan, who's a 135er. That's that dude that I've talked about before that I think is going to be the next big thing at 135. And then I had AJ Reese, who's a, he was an Olympic training center wrestler. They're doing completely separate lifts. They're at the same time. They are talking shit back and forth to each other. Tommy's doing sand bell punches and sand bell throws. AJ's doing the air bike and inertia wave. Tommy walks over to him right after he just got his ass beat by these sand bell punches. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you going so slow? Pick it the fuck up. (laughs) And AJ literally looks at him. He's like, shut the fuck up. And they're competing. They're talking shit. They're going back and forth. Mm -hmm. They don't even train at the same gym. Tommy's at the lab and AJ's at fight ready. They're supposed to hate each other. Like those gyms don't like each other. And they're in that facility. They're in my facility. They're busting their ass and they're competing against each other, even though they're not doing the same lifts, because the only way you need to compete is through intensity. You don't necessarily have to be doing the same thing to compete. The intensity is how you compete. Are you a hundred percent in yes or no? And if you're not a hundred percent in one of my guys is going to talk shit to you until you fucking are. And that's how I like that competition mindset. That's how I like my athletes to grow because that's how you build a culture of growing together. Yeah. I like the, I like the stimulus too. Like intensity can be a definite way to compete, but I don't think it's the only way to compete too, right? We can compete with, um, like technicality or, or For sure. compete in like cleanliness of the rep. Like I've had a lot of athletes, you know, some young gun athlete will jump on the, the, you know, Vertimax or doing vertical jumps. And he's like, ah, oh, man, look at that. And the other guys, yeah, but you fell over when you landed. What the <laughs> hell are you doing? You know? And yep. it's like, this is the vet that like understands what we're actually training for or more of the necessary pieces. So it's like, how well can you do your certain exercise or how well are you executing is another competition. And I think that's kind of like the, the finer point of the finesse point is like, you know, I, I may not be lifting more weight quote unquote than you, but look at how cleanly I'm doing it or look at how, um, perfectly I've dialed this in and it's the same thing in striking. Like you can see when somebody's really polished, mm-hmm. they look technically 
perfect, even though they're not throwing with a lot of heat. Well, and that's a cool part as a coach, because that means your athlete knows what proper form is. If they right. walk over like uh, I've talked before, I'm very specific about my pull-ups. I like lumbar neutral pull-ups because I think it's a trunk exercise, not just a back exercise. Right. It's more applicable that way. I've had my athletes, somebody's doing a pull-up, like at, uh, one of my big boxers is doing a pull-up, a big heavyweight guy. And same Tommy kid, he just talks all that shit. And then I got another another boxer. <laughs> you got one named, talker in your gym, huh? Well, I got a bunch. But another guy named Paul, That's that dude, that dude can talk all that shit. And Paul and Adam, this boxer, train at the same time. Adam's doing these, these pull-ups, but he's dipping his back into neutral. Paul goes over into lumbar extension. Mm-hmm. Paul goes over, smacks him on the back. Say, what the fuck is that? <laughs> He's like, flatten that back out. And Adam immediately like flattens it out. But that's because I was so proud at that moment because I was, I wasn't even, I was in the room. Yeah. Like I was working on an athlete in my treatment room and I heard all this happen. I looked at it through the, I could see it through the mirror, everything happening. And that was Paul just immediately. He knew what I wanted out of that exercise and he's going to talk shit on the form Mm -hmm. until another athlete in there does it right. And that's, that's a, to me at least, that's a successful culture because if you have everybody talking shit, not just on intensity, but on correct form on everything included in it and everybody understands what they should be going after, that's how you step everybody's game up. That's how everybody grows together because there's no off reps then. If somebody's willing to call somebody out and (laughs) willing to say, hey, motherfucker, like do this right, then the other person's going to do that to them if they see them doing something wrong. No, absolutely. And yeah, it's evidence of a correct culture, but it's also funny to see with the cues that your athletes can get away with that you yeah. can't get away with, right? Like you can't just smack. You could quote unquote. I a hundred percent do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I wouldn't do that to, to an athlete. It's funny to see the shit that they get away with or even how the communication like carries forward or even is uh, more impactful from their teammate than from you, right? Like, like me correcting form is nothing new or me like, uh, given a technical cue, it's just like, all right, coach wants this out of me versus your buddy comes up and says, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like you're going to kick it into gear because you're like, oh man, he's elevated. He's really paying attention to this stuff. He's getting more out of it. So now I'm going to. So that is exactly what you said, an indication of a successful culture. Um, once we get competition, but like healthy competition in the weight room, not just, you know, ego lifting or I can lift more than you, but I'm going to work harder at this and do my job better than you're going to do your job. I think that's the the finer point. Right. It's different than like the, the quote unquote football culture lifting where yeah. the, the bro culture where you're, you're just going to go and I'm just going to keep throwing weight on the bar and yeah. I'm just going to keep going and going and going, but then form breaks and yeah. you can talk all that shit. But if somebody leaves with a fucking active disc herniation, well, that shit means nothing because <laughs> that person's not going to train for a little bit. Exactly. And and that's that's an understanding of this MMA game too. I think like again, all the young guns come in and they're gung ho to compete like that or work harder or outwork than the last guy, but it's like the vet comes in that has you know twelve UFC fights and it's like, uh well, I'm just gonna do what I do, but better than how you do what you do. Right. But, like that, the, but that's a good point where if we're competing on intensity, we should be doing it with less technical movements. For like, sure. When I, when I like competition with intensity or trying to push people with intensity, then I'm going to pick something that either I know their form is perfect and I've, I've taught them, I've been with them for long enough that I know it's going to be a really, really good rep, even under fatigue or, or it's impossible I'm, to fuck up. Right. Exactly. Or it's impossible to fuck up. Like you really can't fuck up a sandbell punch into a sandbell med ball throw and going that for a threshold circuit or an airdyne sprint. You really can't fuck up an inertia wave. Right. Like I'm going to pick low technical movements and push them at a high intensity, knowing that 
there's really no way that they're going to fuck themselves up. Yeah. And you have to get, do a lot of training and a lot of, um, weight room specific work, which our MMA guys aren't really keen to do. If you want to push that intensity on something complex, like I I would even consider back squat complex. A hundred percent. So like, if you're trying to push that intensity on that movement, it's like either you're setting yourself athletes up for failure or they put in a shit ton of background work and they have a really dialed back squat, which is by far and away the minority in mixed martial arts. So I, I totally agree. Exercise selection Again, that's one thing I harp on so much is like exercise selection does so much more than what I want out of this anatomically. Exercise selection communicates an intent, communicates um, this is our tone for the workout. This is the intensity I want. This is the type of movement I want out of you rather than I think a lot of times exercise selection just boils down to what does the coach know really well. Right. And (laughs) if you're only picking what's the coach knows really well, well, fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so this is a good transition into the, the second point that you made with novelty, right? Yeah, yeah. For me, novelty is a great stimulus, not only because um, it's exposing your athlete to a new stimulus, and you're going to have a higher movement vocabulary. We've been through that argument on the podcast a lot, but it introduces a different way to achieve uh, more focus and intent in the movement. You know, mm-hmm. like if I'm doing a goblet squat versus a front squat versus a landmine squat, if I hit all three of those different movements in the same workout, guess what my athlete learns? Everything. A squat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. They, they, they are exposed to a lot of these different modalities and no, they might not get very good at any of them. Sure. I'll give you that. But they learn how to squat under many different constraints and they can apply the skill of a squat to whichever exercise modality I choose going forward. Well, what's cool is it's, it's what is the purpose of a squat at the end of the day? Is it, am I trying to make a better squatter? Yes or no. I mean, for, for powerlifting, maybe, but for my MMA athlete, I'm trying to teach them a trunk bracing strategy through a vertical strength movement. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. I want to give them as many stimuli as possible in that pattern so that a normal MMA situation is not just a back squat. It's not just a front squat. It's not just a Zercher squat, but I want them to be comfortable in all those ranges of motion. Like Alex said, that movement library, but I love that you guys do that. And I've actually been doing that after we talked to Aaron Porter on the podcast where I'll just, Hey, pick, pick whatever squat you want. I don't really give a fuck. Do you want to, you want to throw the transform bar on? We could pick whatever one you want. That's cool with me. And then I get to play with my cool new toy, but Like if you have an increased movement literacy, I'm not trying to make somebody just a better squatter. I'm trying to make them a better fighter. And that novelty stimulus allows them to then buy into what they're doing and pick all the way through every movement. But that also not just buy in and be impressed or I guess like in every workout, that's going to cause their brain to adapt to the stimulus just a little bit better because of the novelty. Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the point I'm trying to hit on the head too, is that like it helps your athlete learn better by being exposed to variety. Like that's actually an actual hypothesis through pedagogy It's called the forgetting hypothesis, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So when you do the same thing on repeat, right, you forget what you're doing and you just set go on autopilot, right? Not a lot of engagement, not a lot of attentional pie is directed towards that movement. And then you almost forget what you're doing. So you're not growing in it, right? Versus it takes somebody with a lot of um, mental fiber and a lot of discipline to try and grow in the same exercise. It just take a huge mental effort, which we already talked about. MMA athletes 
aren't willing to afford in the weight room, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I change stimulus, I give them a different type of squat. Their, fo- their force, the constraints make them pay more attention to what they're doing because what they're doing is more challenging. So mm-hmm. we're getting more bang for our buck per rep because the athlete has to mentally troubleshoot it every time versus just go on autopilot. Oh, this is another set. Yep. And I, I will preface that it's all contextual. Right. Like oh, maybe, yeah, I was just about to say that as like, you go later in camp, yeah. I'm not going to do that because exactly. they don't, I don't want them to spend that, that mental energy on trying to figure that out. I'm going to take less of their, I guess that sounds terrible to say like this, but I'm going to take less of their freedom away or yeah. more, I guess more of their freedom away so that they don't have to think as much because they're at that point, they're just there to accomplish one goal, which is beat the fuck out of that person on exactly. that flight date. So yeah, I don't when need them when, thinking about that. When you're two weeks out, I don't need you to troubleshoot a squat every mm-hmm. set. You know, when you're two weeks out, let's check the boxes. Let's hit what we need to in the weight room. But I want you focused on winning a fight. Um, so, yeah, all contextual base or the other context, too, is like an athlete's uh, injury history or anatomical advantages. Right. Like if somebody is very. Um, what's the right word? Con- contraindicated for a landmine squat then yep. I'm not going to do it. You know, just, right. that's just not a really an available pattern. So I'll let you choose out of these different things, but the novelty enhances learning outcomes, uh, forces more attention and more intent into each rep, which is again, great. And it, it just keeps it fresh for the athlete. Like that's more interesting straight up, you right. know, and I don't have to explain, Oh, I'm giving you a novelty stimulus. Every rep It's just like, Hey, we're going over here now. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing that. And that's a lot more engaging at least I would enjoy that workout more than the standard. All right. Goblet squat four sets, eight. See you in 10 minutes. Right. Right. I will say though, preface everything. Like you said, contextually, sometimes coach take coaches, take this novelty thing to the extreme sure. where at the end of the day, the said principle still applies. You have to impose you like, you still have to impose the demands that you're trying to get. Not you can't just do novelty for novelty's sake. Yeah. And, and the way I go with that too, is like, you have to keep the main thing, the main thing, mm-hmm. right? Like we can use novelty as a an ancillary focus of our workout or a, a good theme. But like if my main thing is, let's say to get my athletes strength speed up and we've chosen a clean exercise for that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sorry. Novelty does not help your athlete clean more weight. Like <laughs> No, it does just, not. Right. So if we're talking <laughs> about highly technical movement or a highly defined end goal with your athlete, like, you have to practice that move. You have to practice that skill. So uh, keep the main thing, the main thing, but uh, novelty is a good tool when, and if you select to use it. Right. And then like progressing forward to my last, the last point I was kind of talking about would be game of gamifying things and, yeah. and trying to figure out how do I make lifting weights, which is a very monotonous task fun. Yeah. And it's not just novelty. It's, it's adding in different constraints. Like you're saying, like I don't, Granted, not everybody has the space, but I'm moving into a new space where I have some like where I have a lot bigger facility. There's spike ball there. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna have my my guys just warm up with fucking like hip hip hovers and shit like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have if I'm running a group of four, I'm gonna let them play spike ball. There's enough space to do that. So if you if you have these different, I guess, availabilities, add in games, add in different tasks, add in like, hey, if there's four people, they don't have to be doing the same lifts, but I'm going to rank all of you on an intensity standpoint. If you're not intense, whoever wins, 
you get a prize at the end or some shit yeah. like that, or you're going to do this, this, and this, or maybe you're going to be the one that I, I put up on the Instagram post for the day. Some shit like that, that makes them push harder. That That is just gamification in and of itself. You can have partner workouts with them doing separate things. Like you could have, they're doing their own main blocks and everybody comes together for a conditioning element at the end. You can have your warm up is spike ball and then everybody breaks off into their own different factions. That's That's an easy thing to do. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me, like you as a coach, the influence that you have on your athletes, right? Not only because like, uh, quote unquote, you're the coach, you're the man in in charge or whatever, but just the different value that they see from your input. Like you can change the competition or something or the game or the objective simply by your um, feedback, by your emphasis and what you speak on by your demeanor. Like, um, we have a lot of group sessions with factory X where I'm working. Right. And we're doing, let's say we're doing trap bar deadlifts. A lot of guys are going to go and then they compete. How much weight can I put on the bar? Mm-hmm. Right. And then maybe somebody will do a heavy set and they're like, they walk away like all proud and they're talking shit. They're like, yeah, look at that. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, but this guy over here is doing it perfect. So mm-hmm. his are better. Right. And if I, that just simply that comment can check a little bit of ego or, or, even no, and like then, said, and then you go up to the guy that did it perfect and he thinks he did it all good. And he's like, well, yeah, look at that guy. He just lifted all that fucking weight. Exactly. Like, you got to throw it back <laughs> in their face. Like what you emphasize as a coach in the moment is going to lead the competition or the, the shit talking because like it or not, as a coach, you're a leader in the group. So simply speaking to that, uh, will shift a little bit of your athletes mentality or what you pay attention to. Like, you know, knowing your athletes some athletes are show ponies and they want the attention other Mm -hmm. athletes want to put their head down and do the work and don't want a lot of talk around them so it's like they will understand what you value based on your behaviors and then once they understand what the value that you value as a coach it's almost inherent that they're going to compete for that versus compete for what they think is quote-unquote cool Right. And this is where I've recently not, I don't use them a whole bunch, but where I've kind of flipped my script on like the strobe light classes, the, the fucking fit lights, all all the different implements that you can do that. That's just an easy way to gamify a movement and get people to buy into what you're doing. And there's no reason not to use them if it fits the context, right? Like I can use the, what are the hecko sticks? I think is what it's called. I can use those hecko sticks and I could just have them go back and forth and they did their own workout. This is just a 10 minute thing at the end for them to focus on what they're doing, but it makes them want to come to training because that's the fun part. That's the dessert at the end of the day of all the hard work you did. Yeah. And, And like wanting to come to training, I couldn't think of a better way to communicate that you have a good culture, right? Like if your athletes are bullshitting and like, you know, playing games or doing whatever they want outside of the time that they have to be there, Mm -hmm. that is an indication of a good culture. You know, if you have athletes stick around after to play a game of heck of sticks or, or they're, they just want to hang out and have a cup of coffee together and stay at the gym. Mm -hmm. then that's an indication you have a really good culture because if I have to go somewhere and have to get it done, I also want to leave as soon as possible. Well, dude, right. it's, it's the thing that uh, we've, I've talked about it at nauseum. That's what people think about when they think of physical therapy or healthcare yeah. and shit like that, where, oh fuck, I have to go to therapy. I have to go to therapy. And that's really where I got a lot of my ideas on gamifying because I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that you have to go see, yeah. especially because I'm a cash practice. Typically, if you feel like you have to go see me and you're paying your cold, hard cash, you're not going to come see me. Because you're, you don't want to fucking do it. It's really hard to justify something you don't want to do for $165 yeah. an hour. 
It is. So I need to make what I do as entertaining, as exciting as possible within the context of good therapy or within the context of good training or what I would deem good training. And that's where we can get into the weeds with how do I make a good culture and make shit fun for everybody involved while still doing that hard ass work. And that's, I guess, at the end of the day, the backbone of this conversation we're having. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's an interesting fine line that you balance of like the hard work and the, the job has to get done, but we can do it in an enjoyment driven way because MMA is fucking tough. It's really hard to do all your processes, all your practices to uh, get your face beat in all the time and grind through your wrestling practices, your BJJ practices, you know, and strength conditioning gets hard at times. So it's like, it is hard. So we don't need to make it harder because of a mindset or because Mm -hmm. that's what we decided. We got to be tough guys, right? Like that was the funniest thing. You went into the PT realm. I'll go into the strength side around where strength training comes a lot from American football, right? Like in American football, the strength coaches are the hard asses. They're the ones that get after you. The the, the hardest stop of your day, the hardest practice, quote unquote, is going to be strength conditioning. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was funny as a wrestler and as an MMA person. I know when you come to the, the weight room for your strength conditioning session, that's your easiest stop of the day. Yep. So I thought it was hilarious when a couple of, of football strength coaches like – tried to come intimidate or tried to be, you know, the big macho man. It's like, dude, you know, chill out, fuck off. You, you, you don't scare me. Like I'm not, this isn't intense. Right. So I think that's funny if you try and apply that, that football based attitude towards the, the MMA athlete. Again, different approach. Don't try and emphasize the intensity and kill your athlete through scaring them or whatever. Like with MMA athletes, understand that they're tough. They know what's hard. They're going to do their job. Um, make the environment more enjoyable. You have to take a different approach. Well, it's it's funny that you can see the disparity between the cultures because some uh, somebody that works with both NFL players and like fighters, you can yeah. see the difference where fighters walk in, like even as a wrestler in college, exactly what you said. I'd walk in and I'd be like, oh, this is the easiest part of my day. Like this, like wrestling practice, we had two a days. That shit fucking sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the easiest part of my day. And we also know that the bigger the muscles, that doesn't necessarily mean the tougher you are. Right. That's not the culture that we're in, in, in wrestling or in combat sports. But then you go to the football culture and that's what they value the most. They value the big, the big old fucking muscles. They value the, the heavy ass back squats. They value all of these different movements that at the end of the day are going to be, are going to be what they think helps them on the field. And they think that the toughest person is in the, in the room is the one that has the biggest back squat, or they think the toughest person in the room is the one that has the biggest bench press. And it's cool to see that kind of shift after what shit I've been in practice for three years, but even in that three years working with football players and trying to educate them on the toughest person in the room, isn't the one that's the most broken, which typically the guy with the biggest bat squat is typically the one that's the most broken. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's funny to see too, because I've done this with a couple, a couple of fo- like football based athletes or football guys, like typically when they see that side of the weight room and it's less of the macho man who can lift the most, who can do all this shit the best. When they see this and truly understand it, they like that approach more. They, 100% they want, every they single want, time. Yeah. They want the optimal for themselves. They want to be able to chill out and relax. They want to be able to put the the specific work in and understand the specific outcomes rather than just the blanket work fucking hard or else. You right. know, like the, the big threes, <laughs> which is literally, I mean, I, again, I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit, but 
football strength and conditioning is not my favorite environment. And I see that all the time. It's like work hard or else. <laughs> and that's the primary value. The primary yeah. value is work hard or else in, yeah. in mixed martial arts. And the way that I run the gym is like, get the job done and do what you need to have fun. And that's it. You know, like, but I would, uh, this is going to be a little bit off topic of what we're talking sure. about, but for football, is it like that because that's the place that they can learn discipline versus in MMA and wrestling and all of these different things? You learn discipline by getting your fucking ass kicked sure. over and over yeah. and over again in football. Like, look, I don't think being a wide receiver is that hard. You're you're born <laughs> you're born fast and you can catch balls. Like it's it's really hard to do really well, right? But you yeah. don't have to necessarily be disciplined in order yeah. to do that thing. It's an acute skill, right? No, I, exactly. I totally, I agree with what you're saying. Like you got to learn discipline somewhere. And like for a football team, the weight room is where you do that. Right. So, yep. so again, it demands different, uh, behavior in different contexts, but it's, it's interesting if you get on a one-on-one -on -one level or you get to a group setting where you can compare the different cultures. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, like, that's why I like working with linemen because yeah. the line, the, like, the guys I work with, I only work with linemen. The guys I yeah. work with, they're just fighters. They have that, yeah. they have that Greco Roman mentality <laughs> where they go into it and they know that it's like that they learn discipline because if they make one mistake yeah. on the field, they had a bad game. They could win, say they have 75 snaps. They could win 74 of 75 snaps, but if they give up one sack, they have a bad game. So they have to have that discipline. That's it's already built into their culture versus it's the same thing with cornerbacks. It's kind of cool working with cornerbacks. If they give up one, one big touchdown, they fuck up. Yeah. So it's weird to see that different dynamic, but it's different for the, other. it's almost like position specific for the discipline that and is, the, that yeah. you get. And those are definitely more, um, one-on-one -on -one or solo based positions, right. like maybe that's why I, receiver, you get one-on-ones yeah. all the time. Linemen, you get one-on-ones all the time. So there, there are a lot more dynamics with team and, uh, like working up, amongst your receiving core amongst your line but yeah it, it does lend itself to more of those one-on-one -on -one matchups where there's very clear um ownership or very clear distinction of like that job was yours and you fucked it up versus sure. like a holistic team thing um one way i want to kind of shift the conversation one direction i definitely wanted to go with this and i'm curious to hear your opinion on it austin bringing MMA to the weight room and getting more value out of your, your workouts with your MMA athletes. And I, again, common critique is actually say, you know, this heavy ass deadlift isn't going to transfer my sport. It's not going to help me there. How important or where do you see appropriate to bring sports specificity into the weight room? And does that help with buy-in with your athletes? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think, there are some people that play the sports specificity game too much. And we've talked right. about that a lot. Um, I think the communication, that step we talked about first, that's where you kind of make those gains with your athletes. As long as you can explain to them how that heavy ass deadlift is going to help them, they typically buy into what you're saying because you can explain it well. Yeah. Um, but I bring in, I see sports specificity as the, the novelty approach. That's, that is bringing novelty into the weight room and you can't be novel for just novel's sake, but there's nothing wrong with trying to make exercises look like their sport. If it has a purpose in the program, Yeah, like I, that's where, like, again, I talk about all the time. I'm not a big cleans fan, but I love sandbag cleans. I have those big old like rogue Atlas, the sand Atlas stones. Yeah. 
I can, you can do a clean with that. That's a sport specific movement. It's you're lifting 150 pounds of dead fucking weight, throwing it up. And that's very sport specific. And people love that way more than a technical clean. But I, that's where I like to bring in the sport specificity. I try to layer it in as much as I can understanding that there's still the big lifts that we have to hit. We still have to get absolute strength in certain capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. No. And like, keep the main thing, the main thing for sure. But one interesting way that I've looked at novelty, sports specificity, or the, even like speed of movement type of things um, is your typical like period periodization curve for strength mm-hmm. and conditioning coach, where like typically if we're talking about peaking for whatever sport you're peaking from volume in the weight room goes down, juxtaposed to intensity going up right so as you train more you do less reps but you do higher weights etc like that's really the most basic model of it but you can do that with what one thing i've very much done with is speed of movement right so if i'm training a football player or even like a boxer like as i get closer to the fight the speed of movement goes up mm-hmm. what happens when the speed of movement goes up the weight has to come down so the intensity has to go down so you can look at those Charts and what do you need to prioritize as you get closer and closer to competition versus what can you throw in a back burner? Like novelty and uh, sports specificity go on that same chart. As I get close to competition, sports specificity is going to go up. As I get close to competition, novelty and training different stimuluses or getting more general stuff should go down. Right. Mm-hmm. So as I'm training somebody through camp, I push on the um, intensity of the exercise. And it's got to mirror more towards competition. I push on the specificity of the biomechanical patterns. It's going to look more like sport, the closer we get to our sport. And then by the end of camp, we're concentrating on the energy system demand, which is similar and specific to the sport as well. So I almost look at it as a peaking phase, not just for one athletic quality in MMA because MMA is so dynamic, but I look at it as a peaking phase towards the exclusive demands of fighting. A hundred percent. And where I bring sports specificity in most is my energy system development is my conditioning work. Yeah. Um, it's there's, there's not a lot that can replace a good, like heavy trap bar deadlift. Like some, we just have to do that sometimes. Right. And like, same thing with like a, like a landmine press. There's not a lot that's, or just, just a straight up dumbbell bench press. There's not a lot that can replace the absolute strength of what we're trying to do there. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is in our conditioning circuits, in our threshold work, we can make it look more sport specific. We can have them shadow, but like, I don't need to have them do BFR sled pushes. I, I could have them do BFR shadow boxing, or I could have them do like BFR on the, on the ski erg or shit like yeah. that. I could have them do med ball work that looks like a punch versus just doing a sky toss. Yeah. There's all these different implements where if I make it look more like their sport in a conditioning element they're going to buy into that conditioning just a little bit more. And they're going to understand why they're doing it without me even having to say anything, which at the end of the day to me is that's, that's, that's the art of programming. That's, that's what I love about programming is Mm -hmm. how can I make this athlete in front of me, love what they're doing and make them understand that this is going to make them better as a fighter, not just better as a weightlifter. And that's conditioning. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, that's really cool to see that all come together when you see like your athletes grooving to it, it's the right input, the workout hits the right intensity. And then you're really in that, that honey hole of what's the the best workout for this athlete. But going back to conditioning, like I always think about it too, specifically for mixed martial arts, like we're kind of surgical in that we want to emphasize different energy systems. 
specifically to MMA or we say like, we're not going to just blast them with conditioning because their training volume is so high. We got to surgically pick our intervals and do a set amount of volume at them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what you do for those, um, like the, the action, the exercise modality, what you do in those, you can pick anything you want, but why wouldn't you pick something specific or something that literally mimics? Because when I'm picking those energy systems, I'm trying to mimic the sport anyway. So why don't you just not try to mimic it and just do it? Right. right. Like, like if we're thinking about lactic, uh, power, right. 30 thirties, you know, we can do them on airdyne and sure there's probably a time and place to do them on the airdyne. Right. For sure. But like maybe this athlete is, is having a hard time adapting to somebody's grappling pace or we're preparing them for a high intensity grappling match. Let's, Takedowns repetitively. You're mm-hmm. the only partner that goes for 30 seconds. Hit as many takedowns as you can, you know, and you're on them and it's intense. It's like a wrestling room and you're, you're hitting them, hitting them. Okay. 30 seconds off, you know? And in this context, I would take 30 seconds completely off. I wouldn't have your partner go because it actually right. takes a lot of energy to get taken down, but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is funny, <laughs> but 30 seconds doing nothing. Okay. Now we're back to 30 seconds. Get as many double legs in this 30 seconds as you possibly can, which it makes it really valuable to have mats, to have sports specific equipment in the weight room, which is only going to further your athletes want to be at the weight room because as much as they may not want to go to training because it's mats, it's bags, it's partners, it's gloves, it's this or that. They see that shit in the weight room and that's cool. Like you'll never get an athlete that's more excited to be in a weight room when they see a heavy bag, when they see wrestling mats in the weight room, when they see, you know, you, they, the, it's another outward indicator of we're preparing you to be a better fighter versus we're a weight room. Come do what we do. Right. Exactly. Do what you do. Like I do like talking about med ball stuff. Like I just don't have everything. Cause I have a smaller facility right now. When I get mm-hmm. to the big facility, Budgets I can't, real. well, space is real. Like yeah. storage is real. Um, but I'm excited <laughs> because I'm going to put some heavy bags on the ground. And instead of doing like med ball grounded pound, which is what I have a lot of people do right now, just punching, like punching a med ball into the ground for a set interval. Just fucking throw your glove up, motherfucker. Let's throw med, yeah. like, let's actually do ground and pound. Like, that's one of the best ways. Like, I, when I go to fight ready after sparring, like, and we, and maybe we'll do a little conditioning there as like a, at an end of a circuit for a couple of my guys. It's so much cooler to see them understand condition, the conditioning element. When I say you don't just have to hit the bag, like, let's be surgical about this. Let's do 15 seconds on as mm-hmm. hard as you fucking can. And then take a minute off or take a minute 30 off to let everything recoup. And then we go back and forth and then they start to understand like, oh, I don't just have to go a hundred percent all the time. I need yeah. to learn a pace or maybe I need Amen. to be a little bit surgical with how I do something. And that's, that's the coolest thing is if I can bring the conditioning elements into sports, not even just sports specific training, sports specific practice, like going to the fight gym and mm-hmm. showing them how I can apply the conditioning knowledge on a bag worker, on ground and pound worker, on wrestling. That's where the biggest translation occurs. That's where the yeah. transitive property happens. Yeah. And that's the really cool piece and the really uh, cool evidence of why communication as a coach is so goddamn important because, mm-hmm. you know, while we're doing ground and pound, we could be doing ground and pound for one of 10 different emphases, one of a million different stimuli, right? Like as a coach, like, okay, we're going to work on the cross hand grab and making sure that when we decide to ground and pound, we're going to land hard or we got an opening, right? So that's a technical focus. And we're going to focus on that. I don't need you hitting your partner hard. I don't need you doing max output, whatever. Like I'm communicating the emphasis of the drill. All right. And then let's say the next drill, Hey, we're still doing ground and pound. 
But now it's a conditioning emphasis. I want you to get as many shots off as you can. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be technically this. I would like them to be, but it's more about conditioning and getting as many shots off as you can. Like two of the same quote unquote modalities, but very different drills that you're looking at right there. And I think that's the the, the beautiful part. And ground upon is a great example because we're we do the same thing at the gym where we hit med balls or we have some like body bags, but it's like when we're doing this 15 seconds of ground and pound, I am not worried about your technical positioning. And I want to see fucking output. I want you to see you put your elbow through the bag and I want to see you do it 50 times in 15 seconds. Right? I want output, right? So that's a fine line of communication, but it's also very good evidence by when I go to sparring on Friday and I watch them ground and pound. It doesn't look anything like that, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot more technical. It's a lot more control versus damage based. And that's perfect. But well, and them understanding that. that I can't do ground and pound at an extremely high pace for 45 seconds at a time. Hundred Yeah, I, exactly. Like understanding that you do have gas tanks. Nobody in MMA is fucking Superman. So right. you are going to gas out. So understanding that may, Hey, I might only have 20 seconds at a time. Then I need to control position. I need to breathe. I need to be able to relax so that I don't just mm-hmm. gas myself out because we see that time and time again, where maybe you have a, you, maybe you get a takedown, you land a really good takedown. You get on top, you ground and pound. Then you blow your fucking arms out. You got two more rounds left and yeah. you're exhausted. You had a 10, eight round in the first one and you end up either at a draw or you lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy too. And then beyond that, like, I feel like that's stage one block one. And when you, then when you get the self-awareness of what type of fighter am I, maybe I am that burst athlete that I have mm-hmm. 10 seconds to knock you out or bust. Like how well can we use that in the fight? What's your pace versus a volume athlete that's going to touch you a hundred times in a round and then hit you hard 10 times. Right. So it's like, who are you as an athlete? But we need the, we need the base level understanding and we need the base level ability first. Right. That's, and that's where everybody spends all of their time, which is cool. Like I'm glad that we understand that's our first block. Sure but we got to progress and ultimately get better at it. We got to ultimately make it more specific. We got to ultimately game plan to the person in front of us along with the sport demands, along with good general stimulus. It's just, Mm -hmm. I I feel like a lot of times coaches are hesitant to make that leap. Well, and that's, that's a really good point and where we can kind of end this thing is good strength and condition, I guess, good conditioning in general, good training allows the athlete to self-identify themselves more. It's you get to find out what type of athlete you are. You get to find out how long you have in your bursts. Like I'm going to train Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman different. I'm going to train Colby Covington and Francis Ngannou different. And if I do my job right as their strength and conditioning coach, I can show them how long they have, how to maximize the availability of energy that they have and how to use it as efficient as possible. Colby Covington can do a 30 second burst and drown you with fucking volume. Francis Ngannou cannot. No. He he's he is going to be toasted. Like we saw it yesterday was Alex Pahea and um Israel Adesanya. Two mm-hmm. very um, like amazing strikers, but very, very different. different strikers. Very different. And they under they are self-identifiable. They understand exactly what they do and what they do well. And we saw what happened. Alex took the entire fourth round off. Legitimately, took the entire fourth round off. He conserved his energy. And he understood that I'm going to make a push and whether I lose or not, whether I win or lose, I know what I do well and I know how I can win this fight. And if I do my job right, I can help him understand that through our univariable training or univariable conditioning of, hey, how hard can you do the aerodyne sprint? 
How hard can you hit the bag? How long can you hit the bag at a high pace? Do you understand that you can do this and we can track your output for 20 seconds? And, but at 30 seconds, you drop off. So your first 10 second split, you're able to do 25 punches. Your second 10 second split, you're able to do, we'll say 22 punches, but then your critical threshold drop off is right around the, the 20 to 30 seconds where you drop off to, you can only throw 12 strikes. Well, that's right. a big fucking difference. And I know if you go from 22 strikes to 12 strikes that you are not going to be able to recover for about a minute, minute and a half. So we know how hard you can push and you self-identify of, oh, I am not a high volume. I'm not Colby Covington. I can't do that. And they can understand how hard they can push without having to take a long break in between. If I do my job right, I can help teach you that. That's a good strength and conditioning coach. And that's where I can make my athletes bringing everything together, understand why the fuck they're going into my weight room. Yep. And excited to go to your weight room. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was going to be my final point is that like all of that communicated and understood makes the weight room an appropriate place for MMA fighter, not lifting heavy, trying to max out. That doesn't make the weight room appropriate for an MMA fighter. Nope. It's sometimes necessary, but that's, that's not what makes people excited. True. True. So I think that, uh, that rounds out our podcast on making the MMA, making the weight room to available to your MMA fighter, right? Like I think that's just we yeah, hit it from every angle. I feel like, well, y'all, if you guys got to get in touch with us, you want to call us idiots. You think that we don't know what we're talking <laughs> about. All of our information is in the show notes, both Instagram handles and emails. Emails probably best. That's the one I check a little bit more. Um, if you want programs, we are trying to push this. We have programs available. Hit us up. So we have team programs, individual programs and preset programs for the more price available situation. <laughs> so, we have, I think, seven available programs and a low back course that if you have any questions, hit us up or go to buildingafighter.com to then go there and purchase those programs. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.